Continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark today. So would you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. We'll begin reading at verse 22. We'll go through verse 26. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. This is what the Bible says. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell anyone in the town. The title of my message this morning is A Healing and a Metaphor. A Healing and a Metaphor. And if you'd like to track along with my message this morning, you can listen for, this, for these six things. The Power of Touch. The power of spit, question mark. The power of reading glasses. Two tries to heal, question mark there too. Rewinding to last week and fast forwarding to next week. Let's bow our heads. good just for a moment to be quiet before you. Thank you for your presence here this morning. Lord, thank you for all you are doing here at Grace. You are the one who is responsible for it all. We praise you for that. We count it a privilege to be used in small, feeble ways to promote the gospel on this island and in Bluffton. Through all of Beaufort County and around the world through our missionary partners. Lord, I pray for our pastor. I pray that you will bless him and his family. Give them a wonderful time with uh, Matthew's mom and dad. And I pray that you'll give them a safe trip home, please. And Lord, I thank you for right this moment. What a joy to open this book, this holy book. 
and read from it. What a privilege to hear the word read aloud. Speak today, Lord. You are present here. I pray, dear God, that your spirit will fall fresh on us today. Please do your work, Lord. Have your way in us today. We commit it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, then he, that is Jesus, then he came to Bethsaida. The word Bethsaida means the house of the fisher. The house of the fisher. Fishing is the chief industry in the town due to its location. Now I want you to imagine the sanctuary as the Sea of Galilee. The sanctuary here, you are sitting in the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River runs from the north to the south. For our purposes here, that'll be through the drum cage. The Jordan River is running through the drum cage into the sanctuary, into the Sea of Galilee. And at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, it then runs south out the sanctuary doors along the walkway and runs for miles till it hits the Dead Sea. Bethsaida then would be the prayer room here. This door right here, Bethsaida, is located there at the prayer room. The one o'clock position on the face of a clock. Not exactly on the shoreline. Not on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, not on the shoreline of the river either, but a couple miles off of both, but still a prime location for the fishing industry and for fishermen who lived there and who could easily get to the river or to the sea to do their work. Jesus came to Bethsaida, the house of the fisher, and they brought a blind man to him. Mark doesn't identify who they are, but we can safely conclude they were friends of this blind man. And these friends begged Jesus to touch him. Let me talk about the power of touch for just a moment. Of the five senses... Sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. Of the five senses, it is the sense of touch, the sense of feeling that develops first. As a matter of fact, it develops in the womb. Unborn babies can feel. After birth, studies show that babies who are not held or hugged or loved on Physically, cuddled, cradled. Their brains develop more slowly. As you age, you may lose your sight. You may lose your hearing. You may lose your sense of smell, your sense of taste. But the power of a touch, someone to grab hold of a hand, or a pat on the back, or even a hug, it's a powerful thing to the elderly. We bond through physical touch, even men. Do we not? Men, when we see one another, we shake hands. 
If we really like one another, we may go in for a bro hug. If we compete with one another and we do something good, we high five. If we do something really good, we chest bump. And if we do something really, really good, we throw caution to the wind, we might just hug somebody. Right? The power of touch. The friends of this blind man begged Jesus to touch him. That word touch here in the Greek is the word hapto. Hapto. It looks like this. It looks like that on the screen. It literally means to fasten. To fasten. Jesus, fasten yourself to our friend. But even more literally, it means to fasten fire to something. To set on fire. That is the power of touch. Energy is created. A connection happens. A spark is generated when there is touch. Jesus, we know what you can do. Do that to our friend. Transfer your fire to our friend and heal his sight. Make him see. So Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of town. Not exactly the touch that these friends were looking for, but what is Jesus doing here? He takes the blind man by the hand. He's bonding with this man. He's earning his trust and he leads the blind man away from the town. This is very similar to how Jesus dealt with the, the deaf and mute man back in chapter 7. Remember? Back in chapter 7, Jesus led the deaf and mute man away from the crowd because he wanted a one-on-one relationship with him. He wanted no distractions. He wanted privacy with this man. That's the case here in chapter 8 as well as he's dealing with this blind man. Verse 23 continues. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Again, this is very similar to the healing of the deaf and mute man. Remember back in chapter 7, spit was involved then as well. The difference is this. Back in chapter 7, the Bible doesn't say Jesus spit on his hands and touched the man's tongue. It says he spat, and then he touched the man's tongue. It's quite possible he spit on his hands before touching the man's tongue. The Bible doesn't say that specifically, but here in chapter 8, there's no uncertainty. Jesus spat on this man's eyes. Is that gross to anyone? Seriously, isn't that gross? Why would Jesus do that? So there are some commentators who 
suggest, and, and it's true, that back in the first century A.D., back in Jesus' day, uh, there were uh, physicians who believed saliva had healing properties. There was medicinal value in spit. That's what they believed. So perhaps, then, these uh, commentators are suggesting that Jesus spat in his eyes to make the blind man realize, he's going to heal me. There are other commentators, though, who say that's not the case. Yeah, it's true that there were some people who, who believed that there was medicinal value in spit. But saliva was unclean. So certainly Jesus wouldn't spit on a man knowing it's unclean. A Jewish man, no less, knowing it was unclean. They say instead that he spat on his eyes as a curse to the blindness. I don't know which one's true. What I do know is this. Commentators I read, Conservative theologians like Walvard, like MacArthur, and others say that by spitting on the blind man's eyes, Jesus was stimulating his faith. Getting this man's attention. This is what I'm going to do for you. Be ready. And after spitting on his eyes, Jesus asked this question. Do you see anything? Look at verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. I love to read. Sadly, I can no longer read without reading glasses. I hate that. When I first started wearing reading glasses some time ago, and when I preached, I would wear them only to read the scripture and to refer to my notes. So there was a lot of taking my glasses off, setting them down, walking around, getting to make eye contact with people, putting them back on, taking them off, putting them on. And it became distracting. Not to you. I never got a complaint from anyone in the church. It was distracting to me. All the on and off and on. And then when I started wearing a mic, and sometimes you take it off and the mic goes askew. Or I get caught up. I've actually had this happen where I get caught up. So the mic's all the way up here in my, in my head for people at home. It was very distracting to me. So I got to the point of simply keeping my reading glasses on. Here's the problem. Thank you. Yes. Reading glasses are not made for distance. These are not bifocals. So I can see my Bible really well. I can see my notes really well. I can't see you. I can't see the screen. Now, the letters are big enough to where it's blurry and I can make it out. But it's tough to read when there's a lot of words up there from this far away. 
I can see Seth. I can see somebody sitting beside him right here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can see Seth. I can see the, uh, the first couple rows. I can see Joseph and Casey. I can see Bert. I can't see too far away. Because these aren't made to see distance. Now, I know where certain people are sitting because you sit there all the time. So I see shapes and realize, oh, that's Don and Crystal. Oh, there's Michelle. And I know that. But it's very blurry when I look out. And I imagine that's exactly what this man was seeing. Because if you get up and you walk out, I don't know who's leaving. I just see a shape of someone walking out. I think that's exactly what this man experienced when uh, Jesus asked, do you see anything? I see shapes. I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Yeah, that's what you look like if you get up and walk out. <laughs> Question. Don't answer out loud, just consider this question. Did Jesus' first attempt at healing fail? And if so, why? Just think about it. Just think about it. Did Jesus' first attempt at healing this blind man, did it fail? And if so, why? There are some commentators who would say that uh, the first attempt at healing did fail because the blind man lacked the faith that was needed to be healed. Think about that for just a moment. Faith was a prerequisite to healing. Often we read in the scriptures, do you believe I'm able to heal you? Jesus would ask often, do you believe? Or he would say, go your way, your faith has made you well. Is that the problem here? That the blind man doesn't have the faith he needs in order to see. The answer is no, and I'm going to get to the reason in a little bit. Stand by. That's not the right answer. Look at verse 25. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Jesus touched the man again. He touched his eyes and his eyesight was restored. The Bible says he saw everyone. He saw people. He saw who they were. He recognized them. They no longer looked like trees. His vision was no longer blurry. He could see, he could see clearly. In the Gospel of Mark, this is the first recorded healing of a blind man. There's another one coming in chapter 10. The healing of blind Bartimaeus happens. This is the first in the Gospel of Mark. You'll not find this miracle in the Gospels of Matthew, Luke, or John. It is only recorded here in the Gospel of Mark. Mark, Luke, and John did not record this particular miracle. And in all of the Gospels, this is the only miracle that's recorded in stages. The only one that's performed 
in stages. So our passage continues. Then Jesus sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell anyone in the town. Apparently this man did not live in Bethsaida. Remember, Jesus had led him out. He's telling him now to go home. Don't go back into the town. So he obviously doesn't live in Bethsaida. He lives in one of the surrounding villages, perhaps. Jesus said that because he wanted to avoid publicity, as he has said several times previously. He wants to avoid publicity. He wants to be known as more than just a healer and as a miracle worker. Doesn't want the crowds to be a distraction. So that's my passage for today. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. We're early for me. There's still a question that lingers, though. Why did it take two tries to heal this man? Why did it take two tries, in quotes, to heal the blind man? To answer that question, I need to rewind back to Matthew's message last week. And I need to fast forward to several of the verses Matthew will be covering next week. Our passage this morning is a bridge between these two sections between last week's message and next week's message. It is a bridge, and it's a bridge with a purpose. Last week, if you remember, the disciples were in a boat with Jesus. And as they're in this boat, Jesus delivers a warning about the Pharisees and about Herod. The Bible says, then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and the leaven... Of Herod, Mark 8, 15. Leaven is used to make bread. Matthew talked about this last week. Leaven is used to make bread. It makes the dough rise. If you want a loaf of bread, if you want a biscuit, if you want a cake, you must use a leavening agent so that it rises. If you do not use a leavening agent, all you're doing is baking a cracker. Because it will not rise. It will not be fluffy at all. Leaven in the New Testament often refers to sin. Jesus is telling the disciples to beware of the Pharisees. Beware of their false teaching. Beware of their opposition to the gospel. He's telling them to beware of Herod. Beware of his immoral conduct. Beware of his corruption. But the disciples thought they were being scolded for not bringing bread with them on the boat, remember? He's saying this because we didn't bring any bread. After witnessing Jesus feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish, and after witnessing Jesus feed 4,000 men with seven loaves and a few fish, the disciples just didn't get it. Which prompted Jesus to ask a series of questions that were intended to rebuke the disciples. I want you to consider five of them. 
right now. Number one, do you not yet perceive nor understand? Number two, is your heart still hardened? Number three, having eyes, do you not see? Number four, and having ears, do you not hear? Number five, how is it that you do not understand? How can that be? After all the time I spent with you, after all you've heard me say, after all you've seen me do, don't you get it yet? Don't you yet know who I am? Fast forward to next week. I want you to look down at your Bibles. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. This is what the Bible says. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Jesus and his disciples are walking along the road. They're in Caesarea Philippi. They're walking together. And as they're walking, Jesus asks them two questions. Who do men say that I am? What are people saying about me? That's his first question. And the disciples give an answer. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. And Jesus asks a second question. But who do you say that I am? Mark in his gospel documents the Response of Simon Peter, who's speaking for all of them. But it's Matthew who documents Peter's full answer in his gospel. This is what Matthew writes. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that was promised from the Old Testament. Not only that, you're the Son of God, the living God. You, Jesus, we know you are his Son. So go back with me again. Think back to those questions again from last week's message. Those questions that were on the screen. They're here on the screen now, as a matter of fact. Prior to the healing of this blind man, Jesus asked, do you not yet perceive nor understand? The correct answer is no. No, we don't. Before the healing of the blind man. Is your heart still hardened? No one wants to answer yes to that question. 
But a serious examination of the heart may prompt the disciples to say, maybe. Having eyes, do you not see? No. Not yet. Having ears, do you not hear? No. How is it you do not understand? There's no answer to that question. In this moment, on the boat, last week. That's on the front side of the healing of the blind man. And yet on the other side, everything changes. After the healing of the blind man. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? The answer is yes. Yes, we do. Is your heart still hardened? No, not at all. Having eyes, do you not see? We see now, Lord. We see now. Having ears, do you not hear? Yes, we hear you. How is it you do not understand? Huh. I can answer this one now. Peter's confession makes it clear they do understand. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. So here's the question we still haven't answered yet. Why did the healing of the blind man happen in stages? Here's the answer. The healing of the blind man was a visual demonstration a metaphor, if you will, of how real faith and understanding would happen for the disciples. Just as the blind man's sight was initially unclear, the disciples' understanding of who Jesus is was unclear. Throughout our study in Mark, we've seen instances where the disciples wondered at Jesus because of something he did. They marveled at him. They were in awe of him. Months ago, we saw these disciples decided to follow him. They left everything to follow Jesus. Several weeks ago, we saw where Jesus sent them out to preach the message of repentance. And even after all of that, they were still unclear about who Jesus really is. It took time before they had a full understanding of Jesus as the Messiah. It took time for everything to come into focus for them. It took time. So to be honest, there still wasn't a full understanding of Jesus' purpose after Jesus prophesies his coming death and resurrection, it's Peter who takes Jesus aside and tells him, don't talk like that. Don't say things like that. And Jesus responds, get thee behind me, Satan. There's not a full understanding of his purpose yet, but there's a full understanding of his person, of who he is. So here's my final question to you this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus 
is the answer you give to this question will determine your eternal destiny. Do you have a clear understanding of who Jesus is? Has it come into focus for you? If not, I'd love to speak with you. Please, please, please see me after the service. We're going to pray. As I pray, the worship team will come to close the service. But before they sing, Stacy's going to play a video. It's a video of our baptism service from last week where 13 people answered that question on the screen. They answered it correctly, and they publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the work of your spirit in our lives, Lord. Apart from that work, we would never, we would never know, this would never come into focus for us. We'd never have an understanding, a clear understanding of the person and the purpose of Jesus. So thank you for the work of your spirit. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who may not have a clear understanding of who you are. Give them a boldness to approach me, to approach someone. God, may there be clarity. Finish, finish the work of the message in our hearts. In Jesus' name.